Our focus throughout this month has been on the Gospel of Luke. It is a book that describes Jesus as the Savior of all of humanity. He did not merely come to die for Jews. He came to die for everyone. And as Luke describes our Lord, he describes him as a master teacher. One who teaches us through both his stories, the parables, as well as through his actions. And it is our task to faithfully watch what the Lord does. Listen to what he says so that we can indeed learn from him. We've noted as we began this study that Jesus told us about his mission. He was very clear in what he intended to do for humanity. And so in the fourth chapter, as he stood before the audience in Nazareth, he read to them from the prophet Isaiah and then sat and told them that what Isaiah said about the Messiah was fulfilled in their hearing. We've talked about the salvation that is found in Jesus. We've talked about the way that we should view ourselves as individuals who are seeking to serve God. And this morning, as we continue this study, we focus on our Lord's resolve. One of the things that you will notice as you walk through the book of Luke is that there is indeed a focus on the resolve of Jesus. This was clear even when he was very young in age. He told Mary when she came seeking him in the temple in Luke chapter 2 that he must be about his father's business. As his ministry began, Luke the fourth chapter tells us that he came with the intention of preaching the kingdom of God. When the time came for him to go to Jerusalem, Luke chapter 9 and verse 51 tells us that he set his face to go to Jerusalem knowing very well what was going to take place. Luke tells us in the 18th chapter that he understood what would indeed happen and predicted in detail his crucifixion and his resurrection. And in the 19th chapter of the book, he revealed his purpose. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. But with that said, perhaps no chapter throughout the entirety of the gospel reveals the resolve of Jesus better than Luke chapter 22. And I want you to open your Bibles there with me this morning. Luke chapter 22. And notice some of the ways Jesus' resolve is seen. begin in verse 14. The text says, when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread 
and gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. When we read this section of Scripture, our mind immediately goes to the observation of the Lord's Supper. And that certainly is a component of what Luke is recording for us. But lying underneath the idea of the need for us to remember the death of Jesus, which Jesus clearly was placing before his apostles, is the resolve that our Lord had to die. Jesus was determined. Jesus was set to do the will of God of his Father in heaven. And there are several details about the resolve of Jesus to die couched within these few short verses to which I would like to draw your attention. First, Jesus was resolved to die at the appropriate time. Notice what verse 14 says again. When the hour had come, He sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. It's so easy for us in Bible study to overlook simple statements. We read past them. We read through them. What does that phrase mean, when the hour had come? What hour exactly is in mind? What is the point of that statement introducing this beautiful event that we remember on a weekly basis. There is at least a hint of the grander plan that God has for humanity. A couple of verses to keep in mind jointly with this. First, look at Galatians chapter 4 in your Bibles. Galatians chapter 4 reminds us that God did indeed have an appropriate time in mind for the birth and thus the ministry of Jesus. In verse 4 of that text, it says very simply, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God saw through all of the hours of history the exact and precise moment in which it would be best for His Son to be born upon the earth, the right time, the right place. And when the fullness of that time had come, through God's foreknowledge and infinite wisdom, Jesus came so that He might live and die so that you and I would have the opportunity to be redeemed, and to be adopted as children of God. When that phrase, the hour has come, is stated in Luke, the 22nd chapter, 
It is describing more than just the moment in which Jesus and His apostles gathered to eat the Passover. It is describing that time frame leading up to the death of Jesus. A death that was foreseen by God from all of eternity. A death that was absolutely necessary. Jesus was resolved to die at the appropriate time. Another passage which helps us appreciate this concept is in Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. We're reminded of the significance of the blood of Jesus by Paul's statement. He says, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to the good pleasure which He purposed in Himself. And then verse 10 says that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. It's very important to recognize what the term dispensation has reference to. Sometimes, because of the way that we use language, we lose a precision with our words. If I ask, what is a dispensation? I am certain that someone would say it is a period of time. And yet the truth of the matter is a dispensation is a legal code, often spanning periods of time. What Paul has in mind in this passage is the dispensation that we rightly refer to as the Christian dispensation, that which replaced all other legal codes for humanity. The way that God deals with us is through His Son's law today. One that He had in mind from all of eternity and one that He brought to pass at just the right moment in history. And so when we read this phrase in Luke the 22nd chapter, when the hour had come, we are reminded of the precision of God, of the knowledge of God, of the power of God, and of the resolve of Jesus the Christ. But the passage in Luke 22 doesn't just tell us that Jesus was resolved to die at the appropriate time. It also tells us why He was resolved to die, and that is to provide deliverance. Notice verses 15 and following. Then He said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. This is set in the context of the Passover meal, which is important for our understanding with regard to what's happening at this juncture. What was the Passover? The Passover was a memorial. It was a feast to remember God's deliverance and His provision for His people. 
When the Israelite nation was enslaved in Egypt, God, through His mighty power, produced the ten plagues, the last of which, the death of the firstborn, was the one that finally caused Pharaoh to cast the people from the land. But there were conditions that even the children of Israel had to meet in order to be spared from that plague. They had to take the blood of a lamb or a goat and wipe that blood across the doorframe of their house so that when the firstborn was killed, the firstborn of their house would be saved. Their house would be passed over. And so the Passover feast represented in their minds what God did for them in freeing them from their bondage. It is not a mistake that on this occasion, Jesus and his apostles are eating the Passover meal, a meal that remembered what God did to free man from his bondage because Jesus, Paul tells us, who is our Passover, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, is about to do the very same thing for not just a select group of people, which is why Luke's emphasis here is so significant, but for all of humanity. Jesus did not die just for the Jews. He died for all of mankind. In the Passover, the obedient were delivered. Those who followed the instructions set forth in Exodus, the 12th chapter. And yet in the crucifixion, the obedient one the innocent one was killed for the sake of the guilty. It is significant, however, that Jesus is talking about eating with his apostles before the kingdom comes. If you and I wish to be a part of that kingdom, we must be marked by the blood of Jesus. In Revelation 1 and verse 5, John said he loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What is it that washes our sins away? Without doubt, without question, it is the blood of Jesus. The question is not what cleanses our sins. The question is, how do we contact that which cleanses our sins? It is very clear in Scripture, Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, that we are to arise and be baptized and wash away our sins. What is it that washes our sins away? Revelation 1.5, the blood of Jesus. Why equate baptism with the washing away of sin? Because Romans 6 and verse 3 tells us that when we are baptized into Christ, we are baptized into His death. Jesus was resolved to die. He was resolved to die at the appropriate time. He was resolved to die to provide deliverance for humanity. And His death did in fact make possible the coming of the kingdom of God, the ushering in of God's kingdom. There are a number of passages that also speak to that. One of them that's very important is in John the 16th chapter. In John 16, Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 5 beginning, 
But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, and he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare to you. What do we see from that section of Scripture? We see that unless Jesus departs from the earth, the Holy Spirit will not come. And yet when we look at other passages of Scripture, we see that the Holy Spirit's coming is also directly and immediately attached to the coming of the church or the kingdom. Jesus told his apostles before he ascended into the heavens in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that they would see the kingdom when the power of God came. And that power came in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the Holy Spirit of God came. And thus the church began. The kingdom of God that Jesus himself promised in Luke chapter 22. The kingdom that he was set to preach when he went from place to place came with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was resolved to die at the appropriate time for the appropriate purpose to provide deliverance for his people and he came to die for humanity. Notice what verses 19 and 20 state. The text says, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Jesus gave his body. And the passage is very clear when it says, Which is given for you. I hope, that when you observe the Lord's Supper every single week, you give thanks to the God who sent His Son to live in flesh and blood. Jesus did not come merely to the earth as a force. He came to the earth as a human. An individual who inhabited flesh and blood just like you have who faced the temptations and struggles that you face, and who blazed the trail for us to overcome those trials, to get beyond those difficulties, to be successful in obedience to our God. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest 
in things pertaining to God. Yes, indeed, Jesus had a body. And yes, indeed, he gave his body for you. But he also makes it clear that he does not just give his body, he gives his blood. And when he took the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The idea of a new covenant is a new law. The blood of Jesus is different from the blood of animals that was shed throughout the law of Moses. His blood can do what the animal's blood could not. It can cleanse your sins, but you have to follow His way. Luke is emphasizing that Jesus' death was not just for the Jews. This is a new covenant. It is a covenant that benefits all of us. We have an opportunity to be cleansed by the blood of Christ. The writer of Hebrews makes a similar point in Hebrews the ninth chapter beginning in verse 13 of that text. He said, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? If the blood of animals actually did good, how much more will the blood of Christ? The resolve of Jesus is clearly seen within the course of this passage. He is resolved to die at the appropriate time, for the appropriate reason, for the appropriate people, for all of humanity, and for the purpose of fulfilling God's plan. Look at the way that short paragraph ends. Verses 21 and following. Then likewise, or rather, uh, Luke 22, verse 21, but behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it had been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves, which of them was it who would do this thing? Jesus knows that God's plan is for him to go to the cross and die. The betrayal of Christ was prophesied long before his birth. Prophet Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 11, talked in detail about what Judas the traitor would do. Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew the prophecies. He was aware of what would take place, and yet God did indeed have a plan. When Peter preached in Acts the second chapter, he used language very similar to what Jesus uses on this occasion in Luke 22. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 23, he says, Him, talking of Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose, that's Christ's own words, and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Jesus understood. Truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. The determined purpose to go to the cross for our sins. And so as we think about our Savior's resolve today, we see His resolve to die. Let's notice one other thought this morning and we'll continue this tonight. Jesus, likewise, is resolved to serve. 
There's a conversation that is recorded in verse 24 for us. The text says there was also a dispute among them, among the apostles of Christ, as to which of them should be considered the greatest. They were concerned about who was the most important, about who was the foremost, who had the place of prominence. Perhaps they were concerned with who it was that got to sit next to Jesus when they sat at a meal like this Passover observance. Who could be with Him? And Jesus, of course, was aware. And so He said to them in response, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? It is not, is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. We're amazed many times at the actions of the apostles of Christ. How could they at this juncture in his ministry begin to argue about who would be the greatest? Didn't they really listen to what he said? Didn't they understand? And yet we, with much broader knowledge than they had at this point, knowing how the story ends and how it continues, still struggle with selfishness. We still struggle with the desire to have the place of prominence, the place of highest authority. They at least had the opportunity to learn from our Lord, and so do we. True greatness is not found in the position of authority that one seemingly occupies. Jesus makes that clear in verses 25 and 26. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, let him who is the greatest among you be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. The idea of greatness in the kingdom of God is not our idea of greatness being promoted in this world today. The humble is the one who is great, not the one to whom everyone gives praise. True greatness is not found in positions of authority. It is instead found in service. Although many people think that it's better to sit at the table than to be the one who serves, Jesus points out very clearly that He is the one who serves. John's account provides a fuller picture of what Jesus does when He girds Himself and takes the towel and washes the feet of His apostles. True greatness is found in faithfulness. It is found in loyalty. In verse 28, Jesus says, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. How easy is it for an individual to turn from Christ at the first sign of trouble? How easy is it for us to give up on Christianity when so many in the world are speaking against it? But greatness is found in faithfulness. 
It is found in a continued loyalty to our God until death so that He will give us the crown of life. And ultimately, true greatness is found in the reward that will be given to the faithful in heaven. What Jesus says to the apostles in verses 29 and 30 should stand out and resonate with us. He says, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one upon me. It's reminiscent of his language in John the 14th chapter when he says, in my Father's house there are many mansions. I go and prepare a place for you. He adds that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. You remember the words of Psalm 23. He prepares a table before me in the presence of his enemies. I sit on the throne judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Greatness is not found in exalting yourself upon this earth. It is found not in positions of authority, but in service, in faithfulness, and in the eternal reward that awaits those who are indeed loyal to God, who serve God, who obey God. There's actually a picture in Revelation, the 20th chapter, that depicts what Jesus describes on this occasion. In verse 4 of that passage, the text says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. A picture of the promise of our Lord. Jesus was resolved. If you've been reading Luke this month, you have seen that resolve from his Early years, even until the very end, he knew why he came to the earth and he was determined to do it. Resolved to die. Resolved to serve. 